Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of the WRCU crew. Jake Schmid and Dylan Allen. Chris Akonis coming on in a little bit. we got a jam-packed crew day for you guys. Just less than 24 hours away from the start of the women's basketball and men's basketball seasons on the banks tomorrow. It all starts at 11 tomorrow. Ronnie Wilentz and myself will be on the call for Rutgers and Monmouth tomorrow. And tomorrow evening at 7, it's Sacred Heart and the Rutgers men's team Chris Akonis and myself, Lumby, will be on the call for that one. Dylan Allen, how are you doing, my man? We got a lot to break down today. Yeah, a lot of new, a lot of a lot of sports to talk about. I can't wait for Rutgers basketball to get started because you know we're. I'm really excited to see where they go from last year. Yeah, the the sky's the limit for them as well. At the top of the hour, the next hour, we will be speaking with Danny Breslauer. From, um, as well as Dom Savino at 7.30, Danny Bristler from Scarlet Spotlight RU, and then Dom Savino from Rutgers on BTN. But, Dylan, I want to start with some football and just get this out of the way, this gut-wrenching, heartbreaking defeat that was Saturday evening. I was there to witness it. It was very cold. It was brutally cold. It was Troy DiSavino and myself were there for about four and a half, five hours in the cold. It was not fun, but triple overtime against Michigan. We've seen how far they can chop their way in the forest. But, Dylan, it didn't really look like much for Rutgers when they, you know, they kind of blew a lead there after the second half. Yeah, and Cade McNamara was the difference for that game for Michigan. As soon as they made the, the quarterback decision uh, to take out Joe Melton, uh, that was, you just saw the cookie start to crumble. Uh, Melton was struggling early on, and when, McMa- when Cade McNamara came in, he was lights out. He threw 27 for 36, 260 yards and four touchdowns and no picks. Um, so for his first start, that was pretty. That was a pretty good performance. And, you know, it just it kept Rutgers defensively, like we've been talking about all year for the secondary. It just, if, if he picked them apart. Yeah, he definitely did. I'm, I'm looking at that game. There were some positives to take away. We saw a lot. Kunle Fadukasi, who else come up with that? You know, he's that edge-rushing linebacker. He had a couple sacks on uh, McNamara, but Rutgers had no answers for um, for their run game. You know, Hassan Haskins had less than 40, 50 yards at the first half. He rushed for over 110 yards, and he had the go-ahead score to that game-clinching touchdown to really give Michigan the win. And Rutgers, it's almost like the same thing. It's Illinois. They had the tale of two halves. They struggled against Isaiah Williams and the fighting Illini quarterback, and then he put up 200 yards total. Yeah, and, you know, we all thought that this was a, and it still is, a Rutgers strength run defense. You know, we know it's a Rutgers strength, so it's, you know, it's a little discouraging to see in back-to-back weeks kind of get dominated by the run game. Um, but I, I, I kind of expected this because, yeah. you know, Michigan's offensive line is, is still pretty good. So, uh, it, you know, it's just I wasn't expecting too much. I mean, I knew the run defense would be there, but I, I, I did think we were going to give up some yards this week, especially against Michigan, who has good linemen year in and year out. So, you know, so I think the defense in the first half played pretty well. They only gave up seven points. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. They were up 17-7 to seven at the half, and then, you know, right when they made that quarterback change, everything just changed. Yeah, and 
Chris Akonis just joining us. Chris, how are you doing? We're talking Rutgers football a little bit ahead of previewing Purdue this weekend. Um, I'm doing all right, man. You know, just grinding out classes, getting stuff ready for tomorrow. You know, we got two basketball games to broadcast tomorrow, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. If you ask me. Um, it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. Um, so, yeah, and you and I are going to be at the rack tomorrow. In your case, you're going to be there twice. But uh, being in that building without fans is going to be weird. Yeah, I've seen they've done some cutouts. Like, um, they put the cutouts in the student section, I believe. Um, you can, like, order them, I think, and something like that and put them there. Did you buy one? No, no, I did not. You should have. Did you? No. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Oh, come on, Dylan. You should have bought one. <laughs> my, I'm telling my mom actually really wanted me to get one too, and I just never did. Were they expensive? I don't even know. I think they were like thirty dollars. I think something. it was like not, twenty not bucks or something. And like the money goes to the R fund. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah. We should have should have bought a bunch of Pav ones and scattered <laughs> them around the rack without telling him. Oh yeah. No, that would have been great. Take a selfie with Pav at the rack tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would be that'd be someone else. Um, but you know, we get to broadcast sports in person. That take for granted at all because you know it's it's been rare. So feels yeah. good. But it's gonna feel surreal. Uh, it's gonna be different than broadcasting at SHI Stadium because at SHI, at least you know it's it kind of feels. I mean somewhat normal i guess to be at shi stadium but the rack just the way at the it's because you're used to shape. broadcasting lacrosse games there without you know a ton of people there yeah but also the so, rack with the way that the stands shake and the noise too that you're not going to have the six thousand plus fans like on top of you right that's going to be true. a you know losing that home court edge a little bit what they should do is they should just jack up the volume on the fake crowd noise to 120 decibels no one will know the difference 100 percent. nobody will know the difference I mean, it might cause, you know, competitive uh, imbalance, hearing damage, but, you know, we live in America. Yeah, many freedoms. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's also going to be kind of weird, too, because it's indoors, right? So it's like, at least with the football, you're kind of outside, so it's not as weird. And then, I, I don't know, if, if it's just me or when you call games, I'm like thinking that it's like an echo because you're talking too loud. Do the players hear you calling the game? I mean, it's going to be kind of weird, no? Oh, yeah, it's going to be weird. I mean, I'm kind of used to not having, like, a huge crowd reaction after, you know, like a touchdown or something from calling the football games. But, you know, the rack is a different animal altogether. So. Oh, yeah, especially yeah, if Gio hits, like, a weird. step back three or something or a big dunk from Miles Johnson. Yeah. You're going to miss that energy. Yeah, well, you know, it's going to be fun just to have Rutgers basketball back. It's been eight and a half months since we broadcast Rutgers basketball here on WRCU. So that's going to feel good. Yeah. And both teams um, trending <clears throat> upwards too. For yes. Sure. Yes. And we're going to talk about that at the top of the hour. We'll have Danny Breslau to preview the men's team. He'll be previewing Rutgers women's basketball at seven 30 with Dom Semino. Uh, so you're going to want to stick around for that. If you're just tuning in, um, you know, a lot, a lot of fun stuff coming up here on the crew. And, you know, tomorrow we got, you know, first basketball production first basketball nightline. Yep. Dylan, the basketball night lines are a lot of fun. Oh, they so are. Enjoy that. Yeah, I'm sure you get a lot more callers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jimmy, Dylan and Dylan on production tomorrow, guys. So Dylan squared. Fasten your seatbelts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were talking about football before I came on. Yeah, we were talking about football and how, you know, let's just get this out of the way. It was a gut-wrenching uh, loss 
And, yes. you know, Rutgers travels to Purdue for the first time. They're making the trip out to West Lafayette, uh, Indiana. But the last time they played Purdue, they actually won by two. Uh, they snagged it away on in 2017 on October th- the 21st. But, uh, yeah, Rutgers, that was the only – that was the first meeting ever all-time between Rutgers and Purdue. So, they technically – we lead one nothing. Yeah. I mean – um, I, I don't know if you saw this, but their uh, star pass rusher, George Karloftis, um, yep. is uh, out. Um, unfortunately, he tested positive for COVID-19, so obviously we wish him a speedy recovery. But that's definitely going to affect the dynamic of this matchup defensively. Yeah, definitely. It's um, Purdue, though, on offense, they're a high-optane like, offense. They're one of the best passing offenses, underrated. Their record doesn't show it. They're 2-2, two and two, and they lost by 3 to Minnesota over the past weekend. But they've played, you know, Northwestern, they lost by a score to it. They've played those close games where they could be, instead of 2-2, two and two, they could be 4-0 and oh or something. They're still in the, the second tier of the Big Ten West behind Northwestern. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, every, every game on this schedule is winnable. I know we say that all the time here, but it really is true. Um, and Rutgers has an opportunity here uh, to, you know, right the ship, get back on track, and uh, get an important Big Ten win, and each one of those is special. So, yeah, definitely. And the other thing, you know, about Purdue, they're uh, they're the fifteenth best passing offense in the country. They average three hundred and twenty yards in the air. And Rutgers' passing defense, we know that they've struggled a little bit. Um, you know, we saw that happen against uh, McNamara. Basically, in his first real game, he only he appeared in two other games, but never only in garbage time. He really was the main guy after they took out Milton early for uh, Jim Harbaugh's standpoint. What I, I don't understand. What did what did Joe Harbaugh see in practice and in games to make him think that Joe Milton was a better quarterback than Cade McNamara? Maybe because of uh, he was his main no guy sense. going in. Like he he kind of got some reps. Like he played against Rutgers in that fifty-two nothing debacle like last year. But um, uh, okay, but like he wasn't the starter it, last year. Okay, but it looked like they took out Nathan Peterman and put in Trevor Lawrence. Like it was. Yeah, like that's 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 fitting. Such a drastic. They would have lost that game by like three touchdowns if they kept Milton in. Yeah. Hundred percent. And yeah, well, what are you gonna do? Yeah, their offense has most terrible with Joe Milton. In the country, so, what'd you say? I said their offense looked terrible with Joe Melton. They they couldn't yeah. get the ball. They couldn't move the ball. They couldn't get anything done. And as soon as they put in McNamara, it just it they flipped the switch in and Rutgers' pass defense just looked like its normal self. And you know we lost the game. So I I agree, Chris. I don't know what took Harbaugh so long to to start McNamara because he did look pretty good. And I know Rutgers' secondary isn't the greatest, but for it to be like one of his, I guess. Uh, first starts where he's out there for more than two drives. I mean, he looked pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they took him out, Milton. It was the uh, the second quarter they took him out, and he, he really he didn't have a good game. But in the second quarter, McNamara had 113 yards, like, passing just in the second quarter, and he, he was 10 of 12. He He's more of a pocket guy, but I, I guess uh, Harbaugh wanted to go with his, his uh, his with Milton which was kind of interesting. I didn't think he was going to go with Milton at all. I, I was prepping for uh, McNamara. Maybe yeah, maybe well, Harbaugh figured this not... is... Sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. 
I was going to say, maybe Harbaugh was just figuring, you know, put out Melton against one of the, I guess, um, one of the, one of the, I guess, worser defenses that, that they're going to play all year and see what he can do, at least passing the ball. And I guess give him like one more chance to kind of see what he, what he can really do. And then I guess after a couple, a couple bad drives where Rutgers was up 17-0, he just, he finally decided, all right, I've seen enough. Let's let's put in McNamara. Let's see what he can do. So I, I think that was probably what he was just thinking of doing and just giving him one more chance, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I just I don't know how that happens. And unfortunately, Jake Schmidt is not on the well, unfortunately for Michigan, Jake Schmidt is not on their coaching staff. So um, that's why they rolled with Milton in the beginning. But um, regardless, you know. On to Purdue, as I like to say. On to Purdue, and then the week after, you got Penn State, who's a team that is just absolutely FCS been level? horrible. What's up? I said FCS level. Oh yeah, you relegate them to the Patriot League. This is this is horrible. Zero and five. They're playing Michigan at noon this weekend, and then they're at you know they're coming to Piscataway, but they lost 41 to 21 to Iowa the week bef- the week before that they lost to Nebraska and then they got completely destroyed by Maryland 35 to 19 yeah i mean they they just look uh completely different what do you like, think it is for Penn State do you think it's just the way this season if it's shortened cuz if we know like they you know they were projected to be ranked and stuff like that but then they just fell off I don't know, actually. Like, it's weird. It's like, look, I never, I, I was not one of those people who saw them as like an outside playoff contender. I thought they'd be decent, you know, probably top 25, but not like set the world on fire. But, oh my God, they've looked horrible. Like, considering the level of talent they have, they are hands down the biggest disappointment in college football so far this year. Like, it's not even a question. Yeah. So. And it's still, I think, uh, Cliff Sean Clifford's their starting quarterback, right? They put Will Levis behind him. Yeah, Clifford's still starting. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah, Levis started starting. against Rutgers last year, I believe. And it's weird too because you would think a team having the same coach with the same offensive scheme and the same quarterback who knows your playbook, you. you you wouldn't and and they definitely still have talent, even though they probably lost like they lost a guy like KJ Hamler to the draft last year. But I'm sure you know they still have a lot of guys that can just step in and and be pretty pretty good. I, I don't understand why they're they're struggling as much as they are right now. A court having a an experienced quarterback, a very experienced coach. I just don't understand, you know what what went wrong for Penn State and I don't know I, I just don't know why they're struggling so bad I, I don't I can't answer that question Jake I, I I really don't know I just don't I don't know who to point the finger at it's just it looks like there's just a total mess all around yeah it definitely looks like that it's still James Franklin and it's been crazy what's been you know with him and how they've handled it but I want to talk about Purdue and talk about you know, Rutgers and what we saw with Noah Vedrill, because Vedrill had a, a very good game. He had his best career game, 381 passing yards. It's actually the eighth most in a game in Scarlet Knight history on 29 completions, too. He uh, 
He also, you know, he hit over 300 yards. He had that clip. He had that connection with uh, Aaron Cruikshank that really, that was the one of the big moments of the game. And we saw Cruikshank get his first touchdown. What are you guys really seeing from the receivers and from Vedral? And do you think this, you know, this somewhat confidence as we take, that's a positive we take away from that big law, that devastating loss into Purdue week? I mean, I, I, I was very encouraged from what I saw from Vedral. Um, I wasn't expecting him to be that much of a threat in the air last week against Michigan. And, you know, I was pleasant. I was pleasantly surprised. And I think what it's going to take to beat Purdue this week is he's definitely going to have to perform in a similar fashion because, like you mentioned earlier, Jake, Purdue is 15th ranked team in college football in terms of the passing game. And we all know Rutgers' defense, that's like, that's their Achilles heel is the pass defense. And, you know, you're almost gonna. It's almost gonna have to be like a shootout type of game because Purdue knows Rutgers is not very good against the pass, and they're just gonna take advantage of that, and they're just gonna throw the ball pretty much the whole game. And you know, Rutgers and Noah Vedral, they're gonna have to be able to scheme a way to kind of, uh, kind of do what they did against Michigan last week and be able to just throw the ball and, and get the pass game going. Um, as far as Aaron Cruikshank, it, it it was very encouraging to me that they got him involved as much as they did and not even just him but Bo Melton and guys like Shameen Jones they all had like double digit targets and they had a lot of yards and touchdowns and even Giovanni Haskins had the touchdown in overtime so I'm liking what they're doing offensively in terms of spreading the ball around more because I always say looking back to the past years I, I, I've always felt like we never used our talent the way that we should and they were just under underutilized every single game and now that we're kind of seeing Sean Gleason and Shiano drop this scheme where they're including these guys more often and I think we're in a great we're heading in a great direction and you know we're going to need the pass game to be on point to beat Purdue this week I said this yesterday and you know i'll say it over and over again what we've seen out of the receiver group this year is nothing short of miraculous because you know there was serious doubt as to whether players like bo melton and shameen jones would ever really break out at the big 10 level right based on how they had performed under chris ash um and i think what this showed more than anything is i mean chris ash was not a great recruiter by any means, but he had, he had still managed to recruit some very talented players. You know, talking about guys like Bo Melton, uh, Shameen Jones, Olakunle Fadakazi. Um, you know, there's, there's some, a lot of talented players that Chris Ash recruited, but he couldn't coach up. Now we have Greg Schiano and a outstanding team of assistants. And, you know, he singled down in the press conference yesterday, Taekwon Underwood with the wide receiver group. And, you know, they've done just a phenomenal job with turning a guy like Bo Melton into one of the better receivers in the Big Ten. Yeah, and even the Blitnikoff watch list award in the top in the yes. country, too. And I think that's, you know, he deserves it. You know, first guy since Leontay Carew six years ago to win it. And Bo Melton has really taught me by surprise just the way that he caught that that one uh, touchdown on Saturday um, in stride, and it was just a bullet right into his hands. And Vedrop was a, it was a good pass, but... The way that, you know, Melton was just running a go route, but he, like, he lit up his route. And you see that flair with Melton game in and game out. And I really like that he's got this, like, swagger, this confidence. And I'm gonna, I'm really interested to see how this progresses as the season, you know, goes on. 
Yeah, I mean, that's going to be exciting to watch uh, as a Rutgers fan. Um, actually, I have it here. Fifth in the Big Ten in um, in receiving yards. Uh, so he's he's got more yards right now than guys like David Bell, Chris Olave, Watt Fillier, Pat Fryermuth, uh, although he's a tight end. You know, these are some pretty talented names. I mean, oh, yeah. you, know, you talk about a guy like Rashad Bateman, who was supposed to go into the NFL draft before, you know, the season got reinstated. Um, and I think Bo Melton, you know, if I think he would benefit from another year at Rutgers. Of course, I'm saying that selfishly as a Rutgers fan. I want him to stay, obviously. Uh, I think he will. But um, another year under this staff and, you know, a full normal offseason and all that, I think Bo Melton can really take his game to the next level. And it's going to be fascinating to see his development, not just over the course of this season, but in the rest of his time at Rutgers. And, you know, that's going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah, it is. And he's one of those guys that's kind of, you know, he's risen to the occasion. I really like the the gameplay for Melton. I think that he's, you know, he's very, very under, he underperformed the past couple of years. I mean, he got his first touchdown like last season, his junior year. Um but he's got, yeah, 443 receiving yards, back-to-back games and triple figures. He's hit over 100. Uh, Shameen Jones hit over 102 against Michigan, which was crazy. I, I didn't think that – I thought Cruikshank would be the if, – if any, the second guy to hit the triple-figure mark. Um, but, you know, Melton is going to try and become the fourth player in program history if he hits three consecutive games with over 100 yards. And he might be able to do so against the Boilermakers. Their secondary is not as strong as people have expected, too. Yeah, they're giving up 230, or what are they giving up? They're giving up 260 yards passing on the year, which is right about where Rutgers is at 265. So it's kind of an evenly matched team, or evenly matched game in terms of pass defense. And so, so you know, we should expect to see Bo Melton and Shameen Jones and Aaron Cruikshank kind of have a similar role to what we saw against Michigan last week. Uh, and I hope that they kind of draw it up to be the same because whatever they did last week, it seemed to fit Vedral's style of play better. He just played better all around. So maybe calling similar plays to last week um, might just help Vedral out more often if he's more comfortable with these type of play calls. And, you know, it, I think this is a, even though Purdue is two and two, I think this is an evenly matched game and on paper we're one and four, but, you know, two our past two losses were in triple overtime, and the other one was by three points. Uh, you know, which we, we we were leading by double digits in both. So we're we're definitely hanging around with these teams. We just need to find ways to finish the games and and you know just finish with the win. So I feel like this is a pretty evenly matched uh, game this Saturday too. Yeah, it is. We'll, we'll definitely see what happens with that. It's going to be one of those. You know, interesting games. Purdue is two and two, but they they're not playing like they're two and two. And we know Rutgers has dropped a a couple close games as well. I really I hope to see ved, the same Vedral that we saw this weekend, last weekend, as opposed to the one who's thrown six inter, six interceptions at home too. But he's on the road, and maybe that'll benefit him. Who knows? Because it seems like to me, honestly, as good as Pacheco is, they haven't been able to figure out a way to get him involved uh, in the in the run game as as much as I would like to see him. And that might be on the offensive line play and how they really haven't been able to create holes and space for him to run. And he's got to go to the edge so so often. 
so, I mean, you're going to really have to elevate the pass game to be more consistent because I'm expecting Pacheco to kind of struggle like he has been these past couple games in terms of, you know, kind of just getting those breakout runs. He really hasn't been averaging too many yards per carry. I want to say he's in, like, the three range, so it's not very good. And, um, you know, they're going to have to rely on Vedral more often if they can't get the run game going. So they're definitely going to have to play like they did last week against Michigan if they want to beat Purdue. Well, we'll see what happens with that. We have Rutgers Council at 3 o'clock for that on Saturday for that game. And then we have Rashawn Brantwolf. They have the call. Time for Locks of the Week here on the WRSU crew. Jake Schmid, Dylan Allen, Chris Sakonis. We might, there's some games that might not even uh, happen on Thanksgiving. There's questionable right now about the Ravens and then about the uh, Dallas, but we'll see what happens with that. But I want to start with the Giants game. Dylan knows that we're big Giants fans here, and Giants have an edge in this game because, unfortunately, for the Bengals, Joe Burrow will not be playing uh, in that game. He uh, he tore his ACL, his MCL, and also took some damage to his knee. It was a horrendous injury uh, that he suffered against the Washington football team in their previous game over the weekend. The Giants are now favored by six on the road in Cincy. They're three and seven. I will I'll take the Giants in this one. But, you know, you got to send my best to Joe Burrow. I, that's a horrendous injury, a horrible pit, horrible hit, and it's it's a shame that it's how his rookie year goes, really. Uh, what do you guys have for your picks? Yeah, Chris, you want to go first? Or? Um, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, <clears throat> as we all know, opening night of college basketball tomorrow, full slate of games, which – Man, that feels so good. I'm going to go with, um, we got Villanova, Boston College in the 2K Empire Classic at Mohegan Sun Arena up in Connecticut. Uh, Villanova favored by 14 and a half, 14 points in that game. And I'm going to take the over because I think that this Villanova team is really dangerous offensively. And I think that, you know, all things said and done, they're going to be in the conversation for a national title. So, Yeah, they are. They did they? They're returning a lot of the same guys, right? And they brought in a good freshman class. I heard Jay Wright did a good job with that. Yeah, I mean Jay Wright's a man. He, I mean he's no Steve Peichel, but he's pretty good. <laughs> so. All right. So uh, for my lock of the week, I'm I, I am gonna go with the Minnesota Vikings minus four and a half on the Carolina Panthers. Um, you know the Carolina Panthers. They have PJ Walker as their quarterback. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is out, and. I don't think Christian McCaffrey's playing this week either, so that's no, another not. good thing for the Vikings defensively. And, you know, the Vikings have looked pretty good. I, I mean, I know they lost to Dallas last week, but offensively they, they put up good points, and they have Dalvin Cook, who has been good all year, one of the best running backs in the league. Uh, Justin Jefferson, he's been playing his tail off. Kirk Cousins has looked pretty good in the last couple of weeks. And Adam Thielen, he's on the COVID list, so that might be an issue for Minnesota. But I think I think they can win this game by a touchdown or more, and, and it's just... It's because of P.J. Walker um, and that being his second career start. So I'm going to take the Vikings here, minus four and a half. Yeah, that sounds like a good pick. I like that pick. 
Yeah, you know, I'll take my chances with PJ Walker and uh, and a and a Carolina without CJ uh, Christian McCaffrey. So I'll take my chances there. You want to talk a little Monday Night Football from yes last night? It was a really uh, intriguing game. The Rams muscled out a three point win over the Buccaneers at home in Tampa. Yeah, that was a that was a good game, a surprising good game too, because. You know, it was surprising because I think most people thought that the Buccaneers, you know, offensively with Tom Brady and, and all those weapons that he has, would have played better. But I feel like everybody sleeps on the Rams' defense this year. Yeah. And, you know, Jalen Ramsey's been playing great, and they just, they're, they've they been able to stop the run. And you saw last night, Fournette and Ronald Jones were not, you know, they weren't able to get anything done on the ground. And Brady was one for nine on passes farther than 20 yards and he had two interceptions I want to say or one interception he had one or two but he was one for nine throwing it farther than 20 yards so the Rams did a really good job on almost containing the big plays and not giving up anything huge and you and you saw offensively they were able to just run the ball the Rams and you know and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup had two great games so overall I I think the Rams are a, a sleeper team this year because their defense has played so well and offensively, they really don't have to do too much outside of just, you know, scoring 20 to 30 points in that range, and the defense gets the job done. Jordan Fuller had a great game, too. He picked off Brady twice in that game. He, uh, he's he been really playing well. Aaron Donald's been crazy good. Um, Jalen Ramsey's been playing very well. I think that, yeah, they're very, very well uh, – they're very well put in that division. I think they're, um, they're actually uh, – in first now, well, they're tied with the Seattle Seahawks for first in that division. Um, but the Eagles have the the Seahawks have the Eagles next week. The Rams have the 49ers. And that 49ers game is going to be pretty big because the 49ers are a little bit further down in the wild card. But they're still, you know, about like a one and a half games back. Yeah, and I don't know how, how good they're going to be without Garoppolo or without George Kittle. And no Brandon Ayuk either because he's on the COVID list. So, you know, they and they have a hobbled Debo Samuels. And if he's going to play, who knows how much he'll play. So it's going to be very tough for them offensively to get stuff done. And you can't forget about all the injuries on their defense as well with Bosa and Solomon Thomas and Richard Sherman. So it's definitely going to be tough for the Niners to, to win a lot of games this year and, and make their way to the playoffs, especially since the NFC this year. And it's been for the past couple of years, it's been really, it's been stacked with so many great teams. Um, so I, I don't see them getting in, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see I was them gonna getting say, in. I was going to say the 49ers are probably the most unluckiest team and not just in the NFL. I would argue all in sports, just all the issues they had with injuries and, you know, guys going on the COVID list and, you know, they play in, in my opinion, the toughest division in football right now, or maybe second behind the AFC North, uh, either, either one, you can make an argument, but they play in a really tough division. So it's just been unforgiving for the 49ers and you have to feel bad for them, uh, having to go through all that, but, um, you know, that that'll be an interesting matchup to watch for sure. Yeah, definitely. And the Bears are also on the outside looking into the wild card. It's the Seahawks, Bucks, and Cardinals right now for that NFC wild card. Bears five and five, Vikings four and six, and then the Lions 49ers further down. But it it is going to be a competitive NFC wild card race uh, till the end of it as we enter week twelve now. 
Yeah, the Bears, to me, uh, you know, Trubisky and Foles are both injured this week. And I don't exactly remember who came in for Foles last week, but he wasn't very good. And so, as it was, their offense wasn't good at all. And I, I just don't, I don't see them making the playoffs either because of the lack of offensive play. They're only averaging like 190 yards per game offensively. And that's... Uh, that's really low, and, and and so then when your defense is playing great all game, the scores look close, but that's because their defense is playing great. The offense just can't get anything going, so Chicago, yeah, I don't see them getting in either. I, I think the, the Packers are going to run away with that division, um, and I just, like I said before, the NFC is just so stacked, I don't see them getting a wild card spot either. Yeah, it's a very it is one of the toughest divisions. It is, I think, the toughest division uh in football right now. It's it's definitely up there. I mean, if there is some movement in the NFC North, I guess that's, you know, pretty competitive, but then again, the Vikings and the Lions are both 4 and 6. Um I really want to see how the Dolphins play out cuz they're a game below the Bills for first. Bills have the Chargers this week and the Dolphins are at the Jets, but the Bills Chargers is a is a big game for the Bills, too. And then uh, we talked about this before last week, um, Dylan, as well. And the Dolphins have the Bengals in two weeks, too, which what we thought would be a little bit more difficult if Burrow was playing. But now Burrow isn't going to be playing because of all the injuries he has. Uh, and the Bills have the Niners that week. So it is going to be, you know, we could see both teams that last game of the season where they both face each other. That could maybe go for the division title, too. Yeah, and I think it's that that's going to be a crucial game because I believe Buffalo beat Miami the first meeting. They so did. if Miami beats Buffalo the second time around, um then I believe it goes off of divisional divisional record, right? So I'd have to see who's leading the division. Okay, so here's the one issue for Miami. Even if they beat Buffalo and let's say they tie in record at the end of the year, Buffalo's 4-0 in the division right now, and Miami's 1-2. So, you know, if if Buffalo beats Miami, or I'm, I'm sorry, if Miami beats Buffalo, you know, Buffalo moves to 4-1, and one, and then Buffalo still has to play, I believe they still have to play the Jets one more time. If Oh, no, they have to play the Patriots one more time, and the Pats aren't looking very good themselves. So we can. I'm going to assume that before that Dolphins game, the Bills are going to be 5-0, and oh, in the divisional um, column for their record. So essentially there's no way Miami wins the division, even if they beat Buffalo last week and somehow tie their record, just because there's a tiebreaker between the two in head to head, they have the same record. So then it goes to divisional, right? So I think it's very possible for Miami to get a, a wild card spot though, as well, because as we all know, the AFC isn't as good as the NFC and with the NFL adding that, that extra slot for another team to get in, um, they definitely have a good chance. And it's going to be interesting to see how they decide to handle Tua this week because um, we all know that they took him out not for injury not for injury reasons, but just because he, was, he wasn't playing too well. Uh, and we'll see maybe if he struggles with the Jets, they'll put in Fitzpatrick or, you know, we'll see what happens there. But I still think Miami's a very good team, even though they dropped one against Denver. Yeah, they, they've definitely improved. They used to be the, the 
the butt end of the jokes and the laughing stock of the league, but now they're the team everybody wanted to be. Now they're a team that uh, they've been playing with some tenacity. Uh, they beat the they lost the Broncos though by seven. I don't know what went wrong in that game, um, but it, yeah, Drew Locke didn't even score. He had a pick in that game. He threw for two hundred seventy yards though. That's that's not that's you, you don't let you don't let that happen against Drew Locke. Uh, but the Dolphins they do they do have the Jets. Then they do have. The Bengals, then they have the Chiefs. So the Chiefs, Raiders, Bills are some some of the tougher teams they face to close out the rest of their schedule. So those are going to be integral uh, matchups as well. The we saw the Chiefs how um, how they played the Bills early on in the season. Um, it, yeah, they had twenty six. Oh, the Bills rather, yeah, they lost twenty six to seventeen. That was a a close game. The Bills rallied a little bit, but they fell short. Um, but we'll see if you know. Patrick Mahomes has been playing very well. They're still the defending champs. They're still one of the best teams in the league, and well, they're they're going to make a deep playoff run. The Chiefs, I I can bet on it. Yeah, Kansas City, they're they're continuing from where they left off last year, and I I don't think that this Kansas City train is going to stop anytime soon. I think no. they're going to be they're going to be relevant as could be. For the next ten plus years, honestly, because I know they're gonna they're gonna keep Mahomes under contract with the contract he already has. I'm pretty sure they already have Kelsey under contract, and they're gonna sign Hill to a contract. That whole offense is just gonna be a force for the AFC for a lot of the years coming. Um, but yeah, that uh, what should we call it? The Giants had a bye week this week, and. You know, yeah, it's, it was interesting to see how the NFC East standings kind of fell into place after this week and the Eagles dropping one to Cleveland, which I honestly thought they would win. Um, so they still hold first place at 3-6-1. and one, But You know how this ends, Dylan, don't you? <laughs> this ends with the 4-11-1 uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, winning the Super Bowl again. Like, that's how this is going to end. You think so? Oh my! I mean, no, but like, would that not be the most hilarious way to end the 2020 football season? It's 2020. Anything goes. Yeah, I could see it. Honestly, it's crazy. Oh my god! Weakest that would division. Be the biggest meme probably in sports history. Oh yeah. Just oh my god. Bigger than the jet fump, butt fumble. Bigger than everything. You shut your mouth. I don't want to talk about the butt fumble. Oh, it's bigger than that. It, that's that's even bigger. In Ruin my, my opinion. Thanksgiving. It ruined my Thanksgiving. You think you, you think COVID ruined uh, Thanksgiving? No, no. Twenty twelve. My family's full of Giant and Patriot fans. Patriots watching the Jets Patriots game. Then Mark Sanchez, you know, he takes the ball, he drops back, he says, "Well, guess I'm going to run for it." Runs right into someone's butt, loses the football. It's picked up. It's run back in the end zone. It's twenty one nothing Patriots. I'm I'm sitting there on my couch crying. My family's laughing at me. You know, it's miserable. It's a miserable experience. Are you the only Jet fan in your family? Yes. Where do the Patriots fans oh, come rough. from? New England. Well, are they? Are you a family from New England? Yes. And you're not a Patriots fan, obviously. I'm not from New England. Sometimes doesn't that rub off though? If like your family and then you like root mm. for the same team. Well, you see, it's you know cousins. So like my immediate family, you know, ever since they came over from the old world, uh, you know, they were uh, in uh, they were in New York, New Jersey area. So that's why I'm all New York teams. Gotcha, so, gotcha. That's how that works. 
I mean, you guys looking forward to any of those Thanksgiving games? Like that Lions-Texans game, I mean, gonna definitely no. got to watch that game. No, uh, listen, I really hope that Ravens-Steelers goes ahead as planned. I know the Ravens are dealing with um, uh, some minor COVID issues. Hopefully they keep that under control because that Ravens-Steelers game is it's probably the most best Thanksgiving matchup I've seen in the last couple of years. Cause like better than giants Broncos. Uh, yes, I am willing to say it is better than giants Broncos. <laughs> I'm willing to take that leap and say, I'd rather see Lamar Jackson, uh, than, uh, uh, drew lock, but you know, that's just me teach their own. Um, yeah. And the Steelers are favored by five at home, but the Ravens, they're con- kind of trending a little bit down they're, they have worse than the browns they are two and three in their last five and they're looking to snap a two-game skid too yeah i mean i think it'll be fine like uh, I, the, the team that really intrigues me in that division is the browns yeah because like if they stay hot then baltimore might be in real trouble just for the sense in the sense of they might not have a wild card spot left to deal with so you know things could get interesting over there in a hurry um, but Browns are intriguing to, for me as a neutral fan to watch. Yeah, they're having an easy matchup this week against Jacksonville, and then the next week they're playing the Titans. Yeah. So. The Ravens play Cleveland on, de- on December 14th, uh, Monday night, by the way, in Cleveland. So that's going to be a big game. Yeah, that's that's definitely going to be a big game, though. The Browns have really, you know, they've been really playing well. They're they have a winning record. They've been they've been pretty stable. They're four and one their last five. They've won two straight. Uh they beat the Eagles by five over the weekend. And uh, you know, they don't have Odell, but they've uh Nick Chubb's been playing well. Nick Chubb had over a hundred yards um rushing in that game. Jarvis Landry's been playing very well. Um, Baker Mayfield, he's, he's, he's been kind of coming into his own too. And that, uh, the defense impressed me too. We saw Mac Wilson with the pick and, uh, Denzel Ward, although he hurt his calf. He, he had a pick too. They had three picks in that game, that defense, uh, the Browns defense has really improved from years past. And I really like to see that. Man, I feel like they're a very inconsistent team. They're seven and three, but... You know, the past three games against the Raiders, Texans, and Eagles, they offensively, they really haven't looked that great. Um, in that Eagles game, you know, Carson Wentz threw the pick six, and then they had a safety, right? So that's nine points right there that essentially the Eagles offense gifted Cleveland. So, And they ended up scoring 22 in that game. So really, their offense only scored 13 points. And... And they got a win. And the week before that, they scored 10 against Houston. And they win 10-7. to And then the week before that, they lose to Oakland. Or, excuse me, Las Vegas. And they lose 16-6. to Right? So, offensively, they don't look very... Like, they're just... I, I don't... I'm not sold offensively. They don't have Odell. He really hasn't been doing too much. It, it's, it's basically just a running team. And Baker Mayfield is their... I guess you could say just a, a game manager quarterback, if you want to call it that. Like their best offensive games this year came against the Bengals twice, which don't which their defense is not good at all. Uh, Washington uh, and Dallas, and Dallas's defense is is been historically bad, although they've been improving this 
past couple weeks, but when they played them, they were not good at all. Uh, so, I mean, so I'm not sold offensively, but their defense has been playing pretty well uh, the last couple weeks, but I think it's going to be... I think the Ravens will get second place in that division because Baltimore has dominated Cleveland. You know, week one, Baltimore beat Cleveland on the opener, 38-6. to And... You know, I I just I think the I think the Ravens defense is good enough to hold Baker Mayfield to minimal points. So I I I think even though the Ravens are struggling right now, that I think that they're gonna finish ahead of Cleveland though, just because Cleveland's offense is just too inconsistent for me. What do we think of the Steelers? Do we think the Steelers are gonna continue to go undefeated? I mean, I think they're here's the thing: they're good, but I don't think they're sixteen and no good. I think they'll drop a game at one point, probably to a divisional rival because they play in a tough division, but but the Steelers are legit. I do think that, you know, for what they've done, I don't think they're getting enough recognition. Um, I think the perception right now is that the AFC still runs exclusively through the Chiefs among some fans, and, I mean, I'm not selling the Chiefs short at all, but I think that the Steelers are going to be a very tough out uh, both in their last six games and in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I... It has. It is interesting the way the AFC dynamic in the playoffs has changed. Used to run through New England or or Pittsburgh. Those are usually the one or two seeds. But you got you know the Chiefs appearing now. Uh, Texans have fell off. They're not going to be in the playoffs. Um, the Colts are probably a projected three seed. I think right now they're they've been looking good too. Yeah, they had a big win over Green Bay over the weekend too, but. For the Steelers, I think the issue there is they're getting a lot of uh, they're getting a lot of ridicule for their schedule being on the easier end of things, and you know a lot of people are saying, well, they're ten and zero, the schedule isn't that hard. They're playing a lot of easy teams, bottom feeder teams. You know that they really haven't played anyone in playoff contention, right? That's the whole that's the whole narrative that's surrounding the Steelers this year. Um, and for the most part, I agree. They haven't played outside of the Ravens and the Titans. And I'm not even going to include the Browns because offensively, the Browns are not good at all, in my opinion. So I, I honestly, even though their record is 7-3, and three, I, I don't think they're that good of a team. So outside of the Titans and the Ravens, which obviously they won both of those games, they've played Dallas, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Houston, Denver, and the Giants, and they've played the Browns, right? The Giants are three and seven. The Broncos aren't too far behind. The Texans, like you just said, Jake, they have fallen off the trail. The, I don't know, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, that whole trade that that ruined the team. The Cowboys, they're also three and seven. The Jaguars are a, a one-win team. The Bengals are, I don't know, two wins. So. so the whole perception is they haven't played anyone good, but the defense has been playing great as of late the past couple of weeks, and I think Big Ben has kind of turned from this, I guess you could say, you know, 400 yards to four touchdowns to kind of like a game manager who will give you that if you need it, and if, and if you don't, he'll kind of dial it back and won't, you know, go 100%. So I feel like they're still a very good team. And I think that just because of the weaker schedule that they're viewed in such a different way, as opposed to the Chiefs, everyone thinks the Chiefs are going to win this, win the AFC. And I honestly, I think the Chiefs are better than the Steelers just because of Patrick Mahomes. I think he's just the difference maker there. 
Yeah, yeah, he definitely seems to be the difference maker, but 